If your goal is to lose five pounds of fat, being really, really scared of overeating. By the way, have you lost weight? Not a day on half a sandwich, but a day on almost nothing. We live in a society obsessed with food and weight, with the weight loss industry worth almost 200 billion euro. But is it always a good idea to focus on what we eat? At the age of six, I remember looking in the mirror and just thinking I was fat. Sometimes a diet can lead to a healthy lifestyle and sometimes it can have a devastating effect. I'm Michelle Heffernan for Beat 102-103 and I want you to know the truth about eating disorders. It's just this nagging sense of guilt and shame that wrestles with your natural instinct to survive. Robin Swan is not someone you would associate with being sick. A Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, she has worked on some of the biggest stories of the century. But there was a time she felt like the most frightened girl in the world. I was 13. I had just left primary school. And in primary school, I was the big cheese or the big fish in a small pond. I was well-known and well-liked. And it was easy. And I went to a very large, big American high school. And suddenly... I was a very small fish in a very big pond, and I really felt lost and frightened. Over the course of a couple of months, I decided I needed to lose some weight. When it got out of control, then it became life-threatening. And what do you mean by out of control? So I started with a very simple diet, and somehow and I, the losing weight became an all-consuming thing for me. Everyone told me how wonderful I looked, going into a shop and being able to put on the first pair of jeans I picked up. Those were really positive things for a, for a person who's young and vulnerable and looking for a place. And there came a time when I couldn't stop. And I figured out the secrets of how to get through not a day on half a sandwich, but a day on almost nothing. And did people around you start to notice that something was wrong? My parents looked at me and were in terror. They didn't know what was killing their daughter, but they knew that something was because she was wasting away in front of them. In six or eight months, I lost more than a third of my body weight and my hair started to fall out in huge clumps. You know, I would, I, it was difficult to sit in a chair for any length of time because I was sitting literally on my pelvic bones and my spine was so exposed that I was, you know, it was difficult to lean back. I was seriously unwell. Robin Swan had anorexia nervosa, an eating disorder with the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. A simple diet became a life-threatening disease for her. So what is the difference between a diet and a dangerous disorder? Barry Murphy is the communications officer with BodyWise, the Eating Disorders Association of Ireland. Well, it affects kind of much more than, say, just their time in the kitchen, for instance. It's more than, it's you know, it's not about going to a restaurant and, and picking and choosing certain things. It's the effect on their thinking patterns can become very black and white and rigid. Like a diet might follow a set structure or routine that doesn't really apply to an eating disorder. And, and, you know, diets tend to stop after a period of time, kind of sometimes on their own. But eating disorders are very serious and are internationally recognised as serious and complex mental health disorders. Uh, They have a very strong and kind of pervasive impact on a person's quality of life, their physical health and their mental health. They have the highest mortality of any mental illness out there. 
Anorexia nervosa has received a lot of coverage in our media over the last few decades. Are there other types of eating disorders? Yeah, so the three primary ones are anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa and binge eating disorder. Binge eating disorder is less well recognised. So I think it's one that people just don't connect with because they haven't heard about it as much and they kind of don't take it as seriously. The one people very few have heard of is is kind of OSFED, which is really, it's a category whereby people aren't, they don't have all the symptoms of, say, anorexia, but they may have symptoms of another eating disorder. So it's other specified feeding or eating disorder. And it's actually the most uh, common eating disorder in the world. I was sitting down one day and I was really upset because that day I had had the three meals and I was like, hold on a second, this is a bit weird. Like, why do I feel so strange about having three meals? Kate O'Grady was a communication student with a healthy weight. She wasn't a diagnosed anorexic or bulimic, but she knew there was something wrong with the way she felt about food. Last year, I started just avoiding food. So I was kind of, I was having my breakfast or I'd have my lunch, but I wouldn't have all three meals. And that was a big, big thing for me where if I felt like I ate three meals in the day, it would be too much and I would freak out and I'd be like, oh my God, no, 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 this is too much food. I'd cry. I'd, And it was my, it was like a panic attack about having three meals a day. After that Christmas, I was thinking to myself, why do you feel like you need to skip meals? Or why do you feel like when your friends are eating, you can't eat? And I was like, this is not right. Like, I should be able to eat what I want and eat what I want to eat and what's going to make me happy. And for some reason it clicked and I just rang DCU counselling immediately. And I think it was the first ever session I was saying all this and like what I think triggered it and all... um, to the counsellor and he then told me it's body dysmorphia he was like but you're very lucky because you are quite aware and had anyone ever spoken to you before about body dysmorphia or OSFED no they hadn't I have like I would always hear about anorexia or bulimia no one had ever explained anything like that to me that there are other things where you don't have to be suffering with bulimia or anorexia to have an eating disorder. Yeah. You absolutely do not have to be anorexic or bulimic to have an eating disorder. As Barry Murphy said, the most common eating disorder is OSFED, where you aren't specifically restricting or binging, but you still have a disordered relationship with food. And this is just one of the misconceptions people have about eating disorders. One of the first I heard when I started in this area, you know, was that it was it's white middle-class girls in the Western world. And, you know, we, we know that eating disorders have been documented in Asia, in China, in Korea, in South America. So that kind of just, that knocks that one on the head straight away, I think, as well. The other sort of things are more so around age and gender as well, that it's, you know, it's, it's solely young people. It's kind of solely women. We know that's not true, just based on our own kind of, uh, figures around men. My colleague who talks about this idea, you know, of you know men having the double stigma of you know, firstly having a stigma of an eating disorder, and then then they're a man with an eating disorder, and again, it's this sense: well, you're a man, how could you have an eating disorder? It just doesn't compute because it doesn't fit with the stereotype of whatever the person has heard heard of an eating disorder, and that delays help seeking. All of this kind of manifestation of stereotypes, then that makes it very difficult for men to get help. 10 to 15% of those diagnosed with anorexia or bulimia are men. But the real figure is thought to be much higher, as many men don't believe they could have an eating disorder and don't feel they can ask for help. One man who was brave enough to share his story with Beat 
was Shane. To protect his privacy, his words have been interpreted by an actor. I suppose the worst time for me was after I turned 19. I had just um, gotten out of an abusive relationship. It had started off as little comments like, uh, do you know if you gained a bit of muscle on your chest, you'd be a lot better looking like and... Then it, it kind of turned into, you've gotten really fat recently, and that just sort of spiraled me out of control. Um, I think it was in the space of maybe two or three months, and I lost four stone. Like, um, it's, a, it's a major amount of weight, you know? And what was it like then, day to day? Well, I'd wake up and what I'd have is literally I'd say uh, maybe a cup full of porridge very very little porridge I'd then um, go on to have one very unhealthy meal it could have been a takeaway or one meal a day and then right after I was I was done the meal I'd turn on the hairdryer and I would uh, go into the bathroom um, and get sick okay yeah. I'll turn on the hair dryer. Oh, so people wouldn't hear. Yeah, they wouldn't hear. So you would just throw up what you had just eaten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And were you doing that every day? It depends, really. I like I was. I wasn't probably doing it every single day, but there was a period of time, I'd say, for about a month, that I did do it every day, like. And, you know, the acid reflux, acid reflux and, and, and all that, um, I think it affected my teeth as well, actually, yeah. coming back up, you know. And when you looked in the mirror, what did you see? I've seen progress, to be honest, and um, and I, that was the thing that was driving me on. And I never looked in the mirror and liked what I saw, but I thought I was on the road to liking what I was going to see. I could see my stomach shrinking or just my chest getting smaller like, like I wasn't getting muscly um, I was just getting um, look it was pure skin and bone because as well as that as well as restricting my food I was running about maybe five miles a day without any education about running I was just my body was just um, I actually do feel like I I I abused my body during that period of time. Yeah. And had you any idea that a man could have an eating disorder? Well, the only thing I ever remember about eating disorders when I was growing up was girls and advertisements with, you know, literally sticks for legs, bones sticking out. Like uh, Victoria Beckham was always labelled anorexic, you know. But um, there was no male representation or version so it's like I never really knew um, never really knew that men could get it do you know yeah and did anyone know that you were going through this my mum she knew that I was sick but I don't think she knew to what extent but she really she she did vocalise how worried she was and it upset me you know but um when you're in that mindset, you can't really... It's all about control at the end of the day, do you know? Um, when your life 
spirals out of control. And I think that was the one thing for me, control, because I couldn't control this relationship that I had just lost. And and I felt, I felt this was the one thing that I could control and that my body image was something that I could control and I was seeing progress and people were complimenting me and it just gave me this, this uh, maybe I might be empty in my stomach but people like me better when I'm skinny. Anyone can suffer with an eating disorder, man or woman, child or adult, rich or poor. In part two, We'll learn more about where eating disorders actually come from. We'll discuss the road to recovery and I'll tell you my own personal truth about life with an eating disorder. Yeah, I got you, bro. I'm going to start that diet tomorrow, bro. I am on a diet, okay? I had a donut with no sprinkles. Usually someone who is on a diet will tell you they are. But when you have an eating disorder, you tell no one. You live a secret life. You're constantly pretending that you're okay when your body and your mind are slowly shutting down. I saw your skeleton staring back at me. The real reason I decided to make this documentary is because I too decided to focus on food once. And I ended up in the darkest place I have ever been in my life. It's time for me to share my own personal truth about life with an eating disorder. When I was in school, I was a very anxious student and I was really focused on um, my academic results. And when I went into fifth year, I started to get these really weird symptoms. Like I just started burping all day. It was like I was really bloated and there was this gas coming from my stomach all the time. And I thought, this is very odd. And around the same time, my period stopped as well. I had a scope inside in the hospital and they didn't find anything really pathological. They said that I had spasms in my gut that were related to stress. And I lost about half a stone maybe. And I remember my mother took me to the GP at the end of fifth year and the GP said she has an eating disorder. And we both just like laughed. We just thought it was the most ridiculous thing that we'd ever heard. From the moment I began having problems with food, my mother was my champion. She was by my side, fighting for me in this whole journey. And this was the first time we spoke about the experience. I thought it was a pathological or a physical condition. I had no sense that there was anything else going on because I had never experienced it before. But it was like a premonition because that summer... I went off to French college first and then I went to Irish college. And while I was there, I started to eat less. The ban on tea would put down two big meals a day in front of us. I used to just kind of pick at it or not eat it at all. By then I had dropped maybe from, I'd probably been about nine stone at the start of the summer and I had dropped down to seven and a half. I knew that something bad was going on and it wasn't just to do with food. Like I was not integrating I was always really scared of other people. I clung to my best friend. My mother came to get me and she knew then that things weren't right. I was very worried. We received a letter from the ban on tea describing her concern for you and it was really upsetting. 
I realised we can't do this on our own. This is bigger than you and I. So I did find Dr Griffin um, as being recommended. But I had to convince you. I knew you were still in denial. My mother took me to see Dr Griffin, head of the Eating Disorders Unit in St Patrick's Hospital, Dublin. When he saw my symptoms and my weight, he urged me to leave school immediately and come straight into St Patrick's Hospital. And I was just like, are you having a laugh? Like, I have to leave and start to do, you know? That was the only thing that mattered to me. I just thought, no, 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 like, I don't need that. And um, when the leaving starts over, I'm just not going to be like this. I'm not going to be as stressed. I felt I was holding you all the time, trying to steer and holding you and supporting. But I could not get you to a point where I felt y- you could acknowledge that this was happening and that you would want to do something about it. Obviously, I got to the end of sixth year and I thought that once the exams were over, everything go, I'd be okay. And uh, I got my place in Trinity and off I went. But things just slipped massively. Like there was no one to keep an eye on me. I was constantly missing class. The pivotal moment came when I saw you one time. We were in the kitchen and you bent over with pain. And I saw your skeleton staring back at me. And from that moment, I, I really thought... I have to give this one more go. I cannot do this on my own unless Michelle herself wants to get better. And from that, I wrote you a letter. I remember one day then I got a card in my apartment and it was from my mum. And I thought, like, this is really weird. Like, why is she writing to me when she could call me or I'll see her at the weekend? And it was just this card about how she was proud of me and she loved me and that she said... I hope one day you'll decide to get better. And I think I kind of knew then that she was like, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not fighting for you anymore. And I knew then that it had to be me. Every single person in this documentary, including myself, is in recovery or has fully recovered from an eating disorder. But recovery is not easy. It takes courage, will, And most of all, understanding. One of the key things every person who has been through an eating disorder will tell you is that it's not really about food. Generally, what we find is eating disorders are not caused by something abstract. Let's say a person went through a difficult period and they had done things like they'd started going for walks, they were writing journals, but they were still feeling really low. And But something in the back of their mind says, well, why don't you change what you eat? Then they do that to cope with feeling low. And then that works for a period of time. But then they find it doesn't work, so they have to do it more and more and more. And then you're into the compulsion aspect. And it's when you're into that kind of thing, you're into the the eating disorder end of the spectrum. This was definitely something that I identified with. I never specifically decided to go on a diet or try to be thin, but I did suddenly focus on what I ate because really I was under enormous stress. I had very low self-esteem, I was putting myself under incredible pressure in school and I was really just trying to take back control over my life. Sometimes trauma can trigger an eating disorder, but sometimes it really is just a response to an overwhelming situation. For Robin Swan, making that transition from primary to secondary school had brought on this controlling, life-threatening illness. But just like one change triggered her anorexia, 
Another triggered her fight to live. When I was in my older teens, my grandmother, who I absolutely adored, became very ill and was dying. It was clear she was dying over the course of a summer. And on the day she died, I got out of bed and I thought to myself, how much am I going to have to eat today so nobody notices or makes any comments? And part of my brain really just couldn't accept that this is what I was thinking of with my beloved grandmother just dead, that I was worrying about food. And it stuck with me and it started me just trying to think about getting well. But even then, I didn't really get well. I made a little progress and it took four more years of real anguish and getting through college and by the skin of my teeth. And on the day I graduated from college and my mom and dad threw a little party for me at our family home, one of my mom's sisters, who had been living with my grandmother um, at the time she died, grabbed my hand as I walked past. And she looked at me and she said, you know, you know, don't you? And I looked at her and I said, yeah, I know. I do know. And she said, what do you know? I said, she traded. And she said, that's right, you know. And she said, your grandmother prayed all that summer that she was happy to go if you could live. And I always felt that in her heart, she'd made that trade. And that you can believe in God or not believe in God. But you can believe in the power of someone's love for you. And I felt that. Just as one life event had pushed Robin into disordered eating, another had pushed her to fight back. I knew exactly how she felt. When I got that card from my mother, I felt I had hit rock bottom. And that was the push I needed to ask for help. In the end, I myself made the call to St. Patrick's Hospital and I asked to be put on the waiting list for the eating disorder treatment unit. I will never forget the day you went into St. Patrick's. We both went together. I had such mixed emotions on it. It had been such an effort to get to this point. And I drove home and I didn't know what to do with myself. And for some reason, I just drove to the GP surgery, arrived in and I just flooded with tears. I couldn't even explain why I was there. And the receptionist saw my distress and called the doctor. And all I could say was between the sobbing, Michelle has gone into hospital. It was the first time that I felt today I don't have to hold you anymore. Somebody else can help me take care of you. I just started crying and I was like, I can't believe it's come to this. Like, what am I doing here? But I'll always be so grateful that I got in there. And I don't know how anyone gets over something like that without professional help because I really needed it. It was obviously like so hard, but something just clicked, I think, where I started to realise how good it felt to have energy. And I thought like, oh, my God, this is what life could be like. And I decided that instead of being good at being sick, I had to be really good at being better. Nobody chooses to get an eating disorder. It is nothing like going on a diet or starting a new meal plan. It's an all-consuming, life-threatening obsession that can lead to serious medical issues and even death. But there is hope. 
You can recover from an eating disorder. You can regain your health. You can find support and you can find yourself again. I would say to someone if they felt like me, just say it to someone, anyone, like talk to your best friend. I just remember looking in the mirror and thinking, I'm never going to take this for granted again. There is definitely help and support, but you cannot do it on your own. The girl 10 or 12 years ago thought that all that mattered was what other people thought. And now I know that it's more about what I want. And it doesn't matter what people expect of me or what people say you would be good at. More about what's right for me. If you have been affected by any of the issues discussed in this programme, you can call the BodyWise helpline on 01-210-7906 or find a full list of support services on beat102103.com.